Chapter twenty six of the Life of Kit Carson by Edward S. Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. After a tedious journey of many miles, the exploring party reached Bent's Fort July second, eighteen forty four. The labors were considered finished, and bidding his old commander good-bye, Carson made his way to Taos, where he had a most happy reunion with his family. He was cordially welcomed by hundreds of old friends who had learned years before the rare courage and worth of the man, and who were proud to possess such a neighbor. Carson had led a wild and adventurous career, and after talking much with those in whom he had confidence, he decided to adopt the life of a farmer. In this conclusion he was joined by Richard Owens, an old mountaineer and an intimate associate for many years. It did not take them long to fix upon a desirable site, and in the spring of 1845 stock and animals were bought, building commenced, and everything was fairly under way. At the moment when the scarred mountaineers were counting with pleasure on the complete arrangements made, an express messenger galloped up and handed Carson a letter. The contents were of an important character. Captain Fremont had written to notify Kit that he had started on his third exploring expedition, and inasmuch as the mountaineer had given his promise months before that in the event of doing so, he, Carson, would serve again as guide. Fremont reminded him that he should hold him to his pledge, and would expect to meet him at Bent's Fort on his arrival there. It was a considerable pecuniary sacrifice for Carson to keep his promise, but he never failed to do so when it was not absolutely impossible. Besides, it is fair to presume that the old life could never lose its charm for one of his disposition, and contrasted with the humdrum existence of a farmer, he could not have been much grieved over the reception of the message. But it must be stated that both Owens and Carson sold out at much loss, and putting their affairs in the best shape possible, bade families and friends good-bye, mounted their horses, and set out for Bent's Fort, which was safely reached some days later. There they were warmly welcomed by Fremont, who had entered upon his third exploring expedition, the last under the authority of the United States government, though two others were afterwards undertaken on his own responsibility. As was to be supposed, Fremont, taking lessons from his previous experiences, was much better equipped for his third than for either of the other preceding expeditions. He had about fifty men, among them in addition to Carson and Owens, being Maxwell, the famous mountaineer Walker, who was a member of Captain Bonneville's expedition to the Columbia, besides other hunters and scouts less known but not less skillful and daring than they. We have already given tolerably full accounts of the two exploring expeditions of Fremont, and it is not our purpose to narrate the particulars of the one which followed. There is a sameness in many of the occurrences, but the third time the pathfinder penetrated into the recesses of the far west. He became involved in a series of experiences totally different from the preceding, and deeply interesting of themselves. Several months were spent on what may be called the Great Divide, that is the region where the waters flow east or west to either ocean, and in the autumn of the year they encamped on the southwestern shore of the Great Salt Lake. Before them stretched a vast, arid plain to which the trappers referred with a shudder of terror. They had heard of it many a time, and the common legend was that no man, white or Indian, who had ever attempted to cross it, succeeded. 
These stories, however, added to the eagerness of Captain Fremont to explore its secrets, and when he proposed it to his men, they expressed as strong a desire as he to do so. They felt a mutual trust and confidence impossible under other circumstances. Some seventy miles away, a mountain peak held out the promise of wood and water. Four men, under the guidance of an Indian, were sent forward to explore the place, and in the event of finding water, they were instructed to apprise the watchful commander by means of the smoke from a campfire. When the second day closed without sight of the signal, Fremont became so uneasy that he moved forward with the rest of the party and traveled all night. At daylight, one of the smaller party approached them. He said that running water and grass existed at the mountains, but their Indian guide was wholly ignorant of the country. This was good news, and the next day the party reached the stream. Shortly after, the expedition was divided into two parties, Walker, of whom mention has been made, taking charge of the larger, while Fremont led the smaller. It was the purpose of Walker to pass around to the foot of the Sierra Nevada, by a route with which he was familiar, while Fremont, with Carson and less than a dozen men, among whom were several Delaware Indians, headed straight across the desert. While advancing over this arid tract, they detected a volume of smoke rising from a ravine. Cautiously approaching, they discovered an Indian warrior perfectly nude, standing by a fire and watching an earthen pot in which something was simmering. He was greatly frightened and offered them his food. They smiled, treated him kindly, and gave him several trifling presents which he received with childish delight. One of the singular incidents of the journey took place while the exploring party were making their way along the foot of the Sierras. Passing around a point on the lake shore, they unexpectedly met a dozen Indian warriors. They were walking directly behind each other in what is known as Indian file, their heads bent forward and their eyes fixed on the ground. The whites turned aside to allow them to pass, and naturally watched them with much interest. The Indians neither halted, deviated from the path, spoke, nor looked up, but walked straight forward with their silent, measured tread until they disappeared. The explorers did not interfere with them or speak to them. Thus the representatives of the different races encountered. The division under charge of Walker joined Fremont at the appointed rendezvous but winter was upon them the mountains were sure to be choked with snow and no one was familiar with the route as a matter of prudence therefore walker was directed to continue southward with the principal party while fremont and a few picked men pushed on directly through the sierras to sutter's fort with a view of obtaining the necessary animals and supplies the smaller division was advancing as best it could when a number of plainly marked trails were observed showing they were in the vicinity of some of the most notorious horse-thieves in the world. They were daring and skillful, went long distances, plundered ranches, and hastened to the mountains with their booty. The exasperated Californians often organized and went in pursuit, but it was rare they overtook the dusky thieves, and when they succeeded in doing so, were invariably defeated. This sort of people were undesirable neighbors, and Fremont sent forward two Delawares and two mountaineers to make an investigation. They had not gone far when the company following them found the sign so threatening that they were alarmed for the scouts. A short distance further, 
they came upon such an excellent camping site that they decided to halt for the night. End of chapter 26